Hey beautiful teachers, I'm Nicola Canton from Vibrant Music Teaching. Welcome to the show that's about you. This podcast gives you a sneak peek into the lives and businesses of private music studio teachers so that you can share in their successes, learn from their mistakes and feel part of a global community that's dedicated to sharing music with others. Today we're visiting with Serena Sheen. Serena is a piano teacher based in London who is originally from Ireland, so you'll get double the Irish accents in this episode. Serena was a highly motivated student herself and we discussed the benefits and difficulties of teaching when you come from that background, as well as dealing with self-doubt as a younger teacher. Before we get going, I want to explain one little thing though. In the first section, Serena refers to GAA and neither of us thought to explain it in the moment. That's a common abbreviation here in Ireland for our local Gaelic sports. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get into the interview. Welcome, Serena. To get to know you a little bit better, I would love you could tell us two lies about yourself and one truth, and I'll try and guess which one is true. I started the violin when I was six, I played GAA growing up and I participate in a Zumba class every month. Okay, Zumba, GAA or violin when you were six. I'm gonna go with GAA. GAA being the truth? Yeah. No, the Zumba one is the truth and the other two are lies, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I was sure the violin was a lie, but I was waffling (laughs) between GAA and (laughs) So you do a Zumba class every week? I do. I do a Zumba class every week just to switch off from everything else. And it's great, actually. Um, You know, nice way to engage with music in an alternative way. Yeah, absolutely. It's my kind of exercise. I mean, dancing in any form. So (laughs) awesome. Okay. Now let's get to know you as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So if I were to give you free billboard space, let's say I am the mayor of Cork, and I decide to give you free billboard space in town. And it's going to have your photo on it, sitting at the piano. And I say you can only put three words on it. What would those three words be to represent you as a teacher? Okay. I would say committed, progressive, and friendly. Hi, so tell me why you chose those words. Um. I guess I've always tried to make my teaching as engaging and as enjoyable as possible. I know I didn't select the word engaging, but I want students to feel their piano lessons are centered or geared towards them. And in order to do that, I feel it's important to have a wide range of, you know, activities and, you know, being willing to experiment with different approaches. You know, every child is unique. Unfortunately, in the past, I feel piano teaching has been very much geared towards a certain tutor book or a certain approach or a certain exam, and they don't take into they don't take into account that you're actually teaching a human being. So I definitely think it's important, you know, moving forward in a new era of piano teaching to be progressive, you know, to move with the times, to try new things, to experiment, to you know, question old ideas in order to bring you know new 
research questions or new topics to the table. So I think they would be the, the three words I would use. I try to teach in a diverse way. So using bits, you know, bits of improv, repertoire, oral training, rhythm activities. And um, my kids really enjoy the rhythm railroad activities that are on your, your database, actually. So, and I think I'm quite a friendly person. I'm told I am. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Okay, so that's your teaching now. Let's hear about where you came from. What was your musical upbringing like? When did you start lessons? And what were your lessons and your teacher like? Okay, I started lessons officially at the age of six. But my music exposure did start there. I was surrounded by music growing up. And my favorite movie of all time is The Sound of Music. And I was told I could sing along to all the songs from the age of 14 months phonetically. I don't know how true that is again, because it is coming from my mum. So she's completely biased. But interesting. I'm told it was true because other family members would come in and go, oh, not again. She's not watching it again, is she? And my mom and granddad both played the piano. So I'm surrounded by that growing up. And my mom particularly liked Elton John. So when she played that on the piano, my head would turn because I'd recognize it. Um, remember my first lesson distinctly. I had this uh, big black briefcase and I thought I was very grown up holding it. And remember having, it's strange, but I remember drinking a Capri Sun before I walked in on the tile floor. It was a big yellow dorm with a window in it. And I started learning from Waterman and Harewood's Piano Lessons Book One. And my teacher said to my mom at the end of the lesson, okay, She's going to need a longer session because we'll go through things pretty quickly. Um, I guess it was sort of a very stereotypical approach at the time. Dived straight into reading off the stave. Um, sat my primary exam about eight or nine months later and went through grades each year. Um, without trying to be boastful or anything, I did very well in each exam I sat. So that was, you know, great. It gave me a great sense of achievement. Um, I started in the County Court School of Music, which is now ETB School of Music, and studied there till I was about 14, 13, 14, then moved to the Cork School of Music for part-time lessons and studied there with Tom Janssen. I'd previously studied with Irene Bushell and Catherine Dillon for a while. Um, then I started my undergrad, my BMOS degree in the CRT Court School of Music and studied with Eleanor Malone and Michael McHale and then decided, well, I would like to take this further, but know that I need to kind of jump outside my comfort zone a little bit. So decided to do an ISP advanced program, which is a year primarily dedicated to um, improving one's performance skills in the Trinity Northern Conservatory of Music and Dance in London. So I'm still here, uh, really enjoyed the year in spite of the pandemic and all the limitations that came with it. And I'm now doing a master's in music education and performance. Um, I also studied the flute alongside the piano. Started that when I was nine with Maria Mulcahy and then moved on to Alicia Sullivan. So had a very diverse musical experience, but it was also quite intense. You know, I was constantly doing exams, participating in concerts or to musicianship classes. So I think my mum was traveling, I'd say about 600 kilometers a week at one point to and from lessons. It was just crazy. It was one of those, you know, homework in the back of the car upbringings. But, you know, I enjoyed it in spite of its intensity and the pressure that came with it. 
Okay. So it sounds like you were always a very diligent student and always practiced yourself. I mean, I enjoyed practicing as a child and it's, it's, um, some people find that hard to believe. I mean, uh, my mom used to tell the story that if friends of mine would knock at the door to say, you know, oh, is Serena coming out to play? Mum would say, uh, are you coming out to play? And I, one day I just said, tell them I'll go out and play in June. I need to get ready for my exam. <laughs> now, of course I did. I did have downtime per se, but, uh, yeah, I really loved practicing. My mom never really had to ask me to do it, I guess. Now, it did get much harder, of course, the older I got, you know, getting up. I'd have to do some before school and then when I'd come home in the evening after music lessons. So it was it was challenging, definitely, but it got me to where I am today. So wouldn't change a bit of it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, so I was... Almost the opposite of you. I was an amazing <laughs> student who practiced all the time and I didn't make really fast progress. I sort of picked it up much later, uh, picked up the pace much later. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, do you think that affects at all how much you can empathize with your students who are not like you? That's an interesting question. I also juggled a lot of activities when I was very young, you know, horse riding one day, swimming the next day, piano the next. So I can relate to students that are juggling a lot and piano is just one portion of their weekly activities, I guess. Uh, initially, probably not. Mm. Uh, now I think I am quite an empathetic person. And I would be very understanding if someone came to me and said, oh, I couldn't practice this week because I had this, this, and this. But I guess if the student didn't, didn't have much else going on, I would have initially found it hard. But now that I have a few more years teaching experience, I've learned everybody comes from a different background and has different expectations. So you just have to respect that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's interesting to be aware of the natural tendencies that we have or natural abilities that we had and yours was obviously very musically based but it could be anything that a teacher has you know like maths has always just made sense to me so I have to be aware of that when I'm talking to students who it it doesn't click as easily right and so they don't want to approach notes as being fractions and that's fair enough but you just have to keep these things in mind like I'm naturally inclined this way so once you're self-aware about that, I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Really good. Was there anything that wasn't included in your lessons growing up that you wish was, such as improv or games or anything else that you felt might have been included sooner in your musical journey? I would have liked general music theory to be incorporated more into my lesson. I definitely found both were kept as very separate entities, you know, I was introduced to music theory much later in life. I remember entering the court school of music, not having a clue. I had some theory lessons, but it was very much starting from scratch. And I had a one-to-one -one tutor for a year to try and bring me up to CSM standard. But I do feel if it hadn't been treated as separately as it was, it would have made everything more relatable. You know, I mean, theory is just, you know, it could be on the, at the most basic level considered as general facts behind a piece of music or, you know, the general foundations of a piece of music. There's nothing particularly 
extraordinary about it that requires it to be so separate. So I am much more aware now of if I'm teaching something with the student and there's a new concept, introduce it, you know, weeks before under the guise of games or other activities. And then when you actually present it, they go, oh yeah, I know what that is. There's nothing major about it. I also missed on improvisation. It wasn't valued as highly, unfortunately, when I started music lessons and I'm still a little hesitant when it comes to, not so much introducing it with my students because they're all still, you know, very young and very new to the piano. But I guess I think it would have definitely broadened my perspective and enhanced my creativity if I had had that from day one and not, it wouldn't have been made as big a deal as it is now if it had been introduced from day one. Absolutely. It wouldn't have been the big scary mountain. And I love what you're saying about theory and integrating it. And you're right. It just shouldn't be this separate, much drier version of music. Um, and introducing these things before students meet them in the music and integrating it that way. What I call preemptive theory, getting ahead of the game with a, with a game so that when you get there, it's just, oh, yeah, the treble clef. Oh, yeah. So it's high notes. I got it, you know, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I love that. So tell me, when and how did you get into teaching yourself? It was quite a whirlwind introduction. I started with classroom teaching um, as part of my classroom teaching module in my degree in Court School of Music under Kira Glashin Artem. She was, you know, she's the new director there now, head of school. She was really inspirational and, you know, helped us create schemes of work to deal with, you know, pretty much every scenario you could possibly come up with and to plan effectively, but also leave an inherent room for flexibility. So I started teaching a group of first class students. I had to condense a year long music program into about eight weeks, um, which was challenging, but I really enjoyed it. And I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did, but I mean, one of the students stood up on the last day and said, this is a catastrophe. And then it just went, oh, that's a big word. But their class teacher said, oh, okay, you can tell them you're not coming back from music lessons anymore. And that, my, the way I was able to relate to the students, that surprised me. I mean, I loved playing with, I loved playing school when I was young, you know, lining up my dolls and teddies and pretending I was giving a music lesson or pretending I was teaching them a topic that I'd learned in, maths in school that day or something it was just I just saw it as playing and I went wait I could do this as a career this could be something I could do so I was hoping to do more classroom teaching in my final year of my degree but unfortunately the college there wasn't a great enough demand and they didn't have the res- enough resources for it to run so there was sort of mad panic I went wow this is the final year of my degree I need to find another module within three days otherwise it's all over so thankfully, one of my, um, one of the lecturers in my college, he was very supportive. He said, look, why well, don't you consider instrumental teaching? And I said, really me, I mean, of all people you're thinking of me and he's kind of classroom teaching and, you know, I, th- I think it would really suit you just, just give it a try. So it was a huge risk because I had never done this before and figured, okay, final year, I'll pick modules that I've already, you know, dealt with, I guess or had previous experience with, but dived in, found a bunch of students, you know, different backgrounds, different ages, and uh, 
really, really enjoyed it. I was using a mix of methods from Piano Safari, your resources online, a lot of your YouTube videos that you'd shared. And I was very eager to not repeat the patterns that I had learned as a student. But of course, when you start off, that's the natural framework you fall into. And then gradually I became more confident and received positive feedback following a number of supervised assessments as part of the original and yeah, figured I'd found my niche. Absolutely. What made you say, really me? Instrumental teaching? Why did you think you couldn't do that if you could do classroom teaching? I always felt I was very much geared towards the academic side of music. I always felt I'd end up moving into being maybe a music historian or a music journalist or simply just solo performance in itself. But actually, these modules sort of, they made me realize that the things that I considered to be, as I described, playing when I was younger, so pretending to give students lessons or pretending to perform with other musicians or performing with other musicians in reality could become a reality. It had never sort of entered my mind. And I also, at the time, I didn't feel I was, you know, able to stoop to their level, that I wasn't able to relate to very young children when in fact it was the exact opposite. And I found by just being myself, I was really able to relate to the kids or even one of my students said, you know, I really like you as a teacher, just one day off the cuff. And I said, oh, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. Why? And they said, because you don't tell me I'm wrong. Now, that wasn't, okay, of course. You're correct. If students yeah. make mistakes, you bring it to their attention. But apparently I'd never actually said, you know, you're wrong. And they were sick of hearing that in school. So I'd say, you know, oh, that would be correct if it was this. Now, let's try again. So it's really encouraging to hear, but I think that's why I initially doubted myself. Yeah, that's wonderful and amazing that you could see the play in it right from the start. I love that. Can you tell me about a student that changed something in how you teach or something about the business side, if that's more relevant? Hmm. All of my students have impacted me in different, in different ways. One student in particular caught me by surprise and she at the time she was about 11 12 years old you know kind of in her second last year of primary school I'd travel to her house every week to give her a lesson and she just instantly grabbed information regardless of the way the way in which it was delivered she was a very it's hard to find a student that's equally balanced in, say, visual, oral, and kinesthetic learning preferences, but she didn't really have a preference. They were all relatively level. And I really enjoyed just literally feeding her new information because she'd always take it on board, whether it was a new piece or an oral activity or, you know, rhythm exercise, and she'd dissect it and then try and apply it to other contexts straight away, which was really interesting. But unfortunately, um, the pandemic started, all lessons moved online. I was able to keep all of my students, thankfully. They all wanted to stay for lessons, which was, you know, not the case for every music teacher, unfortunately. 
But I got a message from her parents one day saying, look, we're really sorry. Could you give her two lessons before the exam? And that's it because we've fallen on hard times. Mm. And I just said, you know, it's, it was so heartbreaking because I, mean, I, I cannot leave the student go. We're only getting somewhere. So thankfully, and I was in a relatively good position and I said, look, you know, I sort of um, arranged it so that it could be a pro bono situation for a few weeks until the parents got back on their feet and then we'd be able to arrange something. And I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made because the girl put even more into her music lessons. And I think her parents really, really appreciated it because they had to let go of every other activity for all of their children except piano lessons for their daughter. And just her dedication when her old family life was, you know, full of stress and pressure and then the external worry of the pandemic, I found that really inspirational. You know, in the final year of my degree, I'm saying, here am I complaining about being able to do my degree and teach alongside it and whether I'll get to London in September to, you know, further my career. And yet there's the student where their life is, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but their life is crumbling in their eyes, yet they're still able to practice every day, to dedicate time to the piano and do more than I've ever asked. And she did extremely well in her exam that year. She was even able to sit it. So, you know, I think she really changed my perspective on teaching and impacted in the way I, you know, the way I teach and the way I set fees and everything. Yeah. And what you, what music could do. I mean, I'm so mm -hmm. glad you were able to do that. It doesn't mean every teacher is always able to do exactly. every student, but you could. Mm -hmm. um, and it was obviously hugely important to their whole family, I would say, to keep that activity in the week. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you can be extremely proud of. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made in your teaching? Ooh, good question. Not taking the lessons from poor lessons. I always feel, I try to adopt a growth mindset when I'm teaching, but I think there have been instances where I've tried to record a lesson and it's gone really, really well, you know, the student has been really engaged. We've done a variety of activities. And then the, you know, computer crashes or I haven't enough memory on my device and it didn't notify me beforehand or I forgot to press record when I thought I did. Hmm. And I think at the time, there was one particular instance, I think November two years ago, where I had to do it for a project and I just went, Oh my God, I'm the worst piano teacher ever. I made this stupid mistake. I forgot to press record. What am I going to do? When in fact, if I just, I guess at the time I said, okay, what can this situation teach me? And at the time, of course, I instantly went, no, it can't teach me anything. It just means I should quit. I shouldn't do it anymore. When in fact, it just said, just make sure your technology is working or be grateful for the fact that the student learned a lot in that lesson. Not everybody, you know, it doesn't matter that you forgot to press record. You can record another lesson. If it went well once, it can go well again. So I think it's definitely made me think, be grateful for every lesson, even if it falls apart, even if you don't follow your lesson plan, even if everything gets thrown out the window, be grateful for it because there's always something you can learn. That's so true. And 
sometimes you need to let your blood boil a little bit for a minute and then step back. But you're you're right. You need to then come back to that later and say, well, what could that teach me? Um, and let yourself get cross if you're really frustrated. There's no point denying your emotions, but then come back mm-hmm. later and say, what did that lesson teach me? Because every lesson I can always learn something, yeah. even if it's double check the record button <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Yeah. yeah. So frustrating that moment when you're like, time is long. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. So if you could turn back time or go back in time, get in the DeLorean and go back to your first year teaching self. When you first started teaching, let's say, instrumental lessons. Yes. Mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself? Take one day at a time. I always found, especially within the first few weeks, that I was expected to know everything straight away. Especially when I was working on a module where my colleagues had previously taught, you know, they, they'd given lessons before. Their students had sat exams. How... How was I going to keep up? How was I going to prove that I could do it? And I think it's just, it links into your doing, just do one thing. Yeah. Just focus on what you're doing at that point in time. How can you make this an interesting, engaging and inspirational lesson for that student with the resources you have? I think it was one of our school mottos and I think, I can't remember who said this quote, but it's, do the best you can where you are with what you have. And I think that speaks a lot for teaching. You know, you could have all the resources in the world, could have access to so many different platforms and never use them, you know. But if you literally just use what you have to the best of your capability with the time that you have, I think students will see you're doing your best and will respond to it well. Yeah, and that's a great way to look back as well when you're taking yourself about something. And asked, did I do the best I could with the resources I had, with the time I had with this student? And if you did, you know, give yourself some grace. Yeah. It's great advice to share with a new teacher. Is there anything you think that people outside our industry or you, before you joined our industry, misunderstand about what we do? Music is more than just an idle hobby. I understand it takes priority different, you know, it's ranked differently in different people's lives. Of course, you know, we're all human, we're all unique. If everyone was the same, life would be very boring. But I do think there's a little bit of kind of a dismissed attitude at times to piano lessons, you know, that piano teachers are expected to be music or kind of magicians every week that their child comes in and sits down and that you have a 30 minute or 45 minute lesson. They learn a few things. Oh, they're sorted for the week. Off you go out the door. When unfortunately it's not the same as, you know, swimming or playing tennis at the most entry level. If you want to progress at anything, you will have to practice it a little bit. But if, if you want to progress, practice shouldn't be a chore. You know, that's the other thing. The teacher has to make it, if they want the child to stay learning, has to be enjoyable. There's no point in doing it otherwise, initially. So I do think communication around and information around piano learning needs to change. You know, music is a 
crucial part of life. We're all exposed to it in some form or another. If it's walking into a supermarket and hearing something in the background, whether it's, you know, an automated track or whether it's the radio or even just, you know, dropping up pots and pans in the kitchen, it's all musical. We're all exposed to it. And it is a crucial part to our overall development, whether we engage in it or not. So I do think the information around piano lesson and its piano lessons and its importance and the dedication connected to it needs to change. Absolutely. Finally, I want you to picture a teacher who's out there somewhere in the world and they're feeling uncertain about whether they're doing it right whatever it may be, whether they're running their business right, whether they're teaching this student in the right way, or they feel ad- inadequate in some area of their own playing, perhaps, or their own education. Do you have a message you could share with them? I would say experiment. That's the only way you're going to find out whether something is working or not. Try lots of new things, but only do one thing at a time. So don't try and change your entire teaching in one day, as you mentioned earlier. The only way we're able to grow really, I feel, is through experimentation. You know, try something new in a lesson and reflect on it afterwards. It's all well and good to do something and say, oh, well, okay, I'm never doing that again. Why are you never doing it again? It might not just work for that student, it might work for another one. If you're, you're always learning and growing if you're experimenting. So that's something I'd suggest. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this with me, Serena. It's been an absolute pleasure. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com. 